What the hell are we podcasting for? You make me. Welcome back, everybody. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about parenthood, marriage, publishing, and writing. I am Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden, my wife and my co-host. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Bear. So, you know, I, I always feel like uh, the show goes better when you're in charge. <laughs> well, we, I mean... We, 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 we alternate weeks. <laughs> Isn't that true of life? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> we alternate weeks. Some weeks you're in charge, some weeks I'm in charge. I just feel like when you're in charge, you've got plans and schedules, and, <laughs> and me, I'm just, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and honestly, it, it sort of pisses me off, because this was my idea. I was the one who was like, let's do a podcast. And you said, about what? And I said, I know, and I came up with the whole thing, and you're better at it than I am. That's not true. So, anyway, that annoys me. And I'm just saying that. I'm, I'm sorry that your wife's success annoys you. Well, yeah. yeah. No, first of all, that's not true. I'm just. I mean, it I'm is true, just, but but I need to say openly, it's not true because I'm a supportive wife, so oh, it's not true. Is that what you it do? Is? A great job, but in all honesty, I mean, you're the one who puts this whole damn thing together. No, so. I just I, I I I feel like you you have a whole structure to the show and everything, and me, it's like five minutes before we record, I look at the topic list and I'm like, oh crap, what do I want to talk about yeah. this week? Anyway, what do I want to talk about this week? I actually, you know, the show is about so many things, but. A lot of what we talk about is dreams, like mm-hmm. what we want for the baby, what we want for each other, what we want for ourselves. Uh-huh. And, you know, let me be Mr. Bummer, Mr. Downer here. Okay. People don't always get what they want. You know, Mick Jagger was a very smart man. And what do you do when that happens? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about this sometimes because th- there's a joke that goes on between the two of us about Leia and what her future is going to be like. And I joke about how around the corner from us, there is a science day camp. Uh-huh. And I joke about, I am putting her in that day camp as soon as she is able to be in it. Whereas I'm like, oh, ballet studios. Ballet studios. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Look, yoga. She could grow up to be a yogi. Uh, she can do all of those things. She can do all of those things. But, you know, I mean, you know, there are sadly, you know, not enough women in the sciences. And mm-hmm. I just want her to know that that's open to her. Yeah. Uh, but also, I have to admit, there's a part of me that is like, you know, they're always going to need scientists. They're always going to need programmers. They're always going to need engineers. Those things are mm-hmm. always going to be needed. And there's a path that you can take, you know. Although there- what's funny is there's actually apparently too many STEM graduates now. Are there? You know how that happens? Like, there, three years ago, there were too many law school graduates. Now there's too many lawyers running around. I feel around. like there were too many law school graduates for a long time. I don't know. But truly, statistically, there were too, there are too many law students no, yeah, for the amount of law jobs that Oh, there sure. Are. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, and I heard that the same thing is happening with STEM. Well, maybe it is, but I can't imagine it staying that way, yeah. the way things are going. And I just, I, I feel like, you know, there's a definite path. You take these classes, you do these things, you learn how to do X, Y, and Z and do it well, and you're going to get a job out there. You're going to be able to do something. Whereas what, what I do and what you're working on yeah. doing, those things are so undefined, yeah. you know, like being a writer, there's no classes you can, you can take classes, but there's no but guarantee there's no right. that by the time you get out of that class, you're going to be a writer right. anybody's going to want to deal with. And so, you know, a part of it is just this, this fatherly desire to protect her from possible heartbreak down the road you know uh you i mean, mean like the heartbreak of a creative life the heartbreak of wanting a creative life and maybe not being able to have one okay i mean it took me half my life 
to get to where I am. Yeah. Literally. I'm not being facetious about that. And it was really difficult and painful. I mean, enormously painful. And... And there's, you know, a part of me that's like, wow, like if I can spare her that pain, like I would really like to. But obviously she's going to want to do what she wants to do. And my job is to support her and help her in any way. But it did get me thinking about dreams and following your dreams. And I've, I've been reading this blog for a while now. It's called newsfrommy.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's by a guy named Mark Avenir who has had like a 50-year career writing comic books and cartoons and TV shows. He's done all sorts of stuff. And he just, he writes a lot of great stuff uh, on his blog, politics and creativity and all sorts of stuff. And some, he told a story one day on his blog about this guy that he knew who wanted to be a great cartoonist. Okay. And the guy just didn't have the talent and literally spent his entire life trying to break into cartooning. Okay. Died never having done it. And was miserable his whole life because he thought he was good enough to do it and thought people were holding him back. And he just had this miserable life and then died. And it made me think about, you know, when do you encourage people to pursue this sort of life? And when do you discourage them? Do you ever discourage them? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is that your place to discourage them? You know, I, I hear a lot from people who are like, oh, I want to be a writer. Here's something I wrote. And you look at it and you kind of go, okay. And just... You know, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, I think a lot of things. Number one, I'm 36 <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to write and publish a book, but I, I haven't had a miserable time trying. I love my life. I love my career. So, so for starters, I don't want to assume that you either are miserable as you strive towards some sort of creative goal. Or you hit your creative goal and you have a lovely life. Like no, those yeah, are that's not important. the two. Yeah. yeah, no, that's very important. There are lots of options in between, of yeah. course. I always think of aspiring actors. Yeah, like that. I mean, I feel like at least with writing, there there are career paths you can take in terms of um, putting your writing skills to use, even in creative ways. Even if they're not exactly what you're envisioning, there are lots of career options for very strong creative writers. Well, and also, as a writer, you're not failing in public or in front of other... I shouldn't yeah, say in yeah. public. I should say in front of other people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you write something, you send it off, it gets rejected. Nobody You're the only know. one who knows. Yeah. Whereas if you're an actor, you go on an audition yeah. and you're standing up in front of a bunch of people, you know, yeah, that's yeah, a whole different thing. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, this kind of, kind of a little metaphor here, but at one point, I, I talked last week about how my twin sister and I quit cheerleading senior year. Right. Um, it was because of a lot of reasons, but one of them was also, I was like, I'm not going to go be a cheerleader in college. I have no interest in that. This was a, a fun thing for 10 years of my life because I was a dancer as a kid and this was a great way to extend it. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to do it senior year because I have better things to do and I don't need these skills anymore. And I'm, I'm not going to miss it that much. Okay. What I'm getting at here is if I really, really loved cheerleading just for the sake of performing and for the sake of the cheering, then I probably would have stayed cheering because who cares what the future is about? Like, it doesn't matter that I wasn't going to be a cheerleader in the future. I wanted to be one now. And I kind of feel like with writing, you really have to write because you love the process of writing. Not because you are writing to become published or you are writing to become a bestseller or you are writing to something. You just have to write for writing's sake. I think that's the only way you can stay sane. 
there was a really good blog post this week, actually. I will find the link and we'll put it in show notes because I think Publishers Weekly posted it. I'm pretty sure it was PW. Um, from a woman who is in her, I believe, mid-40s and she's having her debut novel come out this fall. And it was not for lack of trying that it took right. this long. It was, you know, decades of, of her trying to get a novel published. And I was really struck by her words because she says, she tells the story of, of what happened, which was she got so close so many times. And I know that feeling. We, you know that feeling sure, too. Sure. And, um, and finally, at one point, she just gave up, but then realized I can't, I'm not, I'm not ever going to stop writing. So screw the industry. I'm just writing. And of course, you know, that's the only way you can sort of go into this. And it's sort of a fairy tale story that when you stop caring about the outcome is when you produce your best work. And, um, and that's what happened. So, so anyway, I, I yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't ever want to discourage someone from having a creative life, but I also want to be realistic about the fact that you can have a very creative life that maybe looks a little bit different than what you have your heart set on. Yeah. And I guess, you know, for me, the thing that I keep thinking of is, you know, I gave up writing a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I started sending things off when I was 12 years old, so I gave up a lot. Yeah. And I eventually came to realize at some point you know, wh- who am I kidding? I always come back. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm like an addict, you yeah. know? You, uh, you said that to me once too, yeah. probably two years ago or so when I, I think I, I was really down in the dumps and I was like, this is, it's just never going to happen for me. It's, I'm just never going to publish a book. I'm just, I'm just done. I'm over. And you were like, yeah, but you're not going to stop writing. And I was like, no. And you were like, well then keep going. Like yeah. then stop I mean, saying it, that because now you're just wasting time by right. saying you're going to stop that's writing. That's what happened. I realized I was wasting a lot of time. You know, I would quit and six months would go by and <laughs> then I would sit down again and I would be like, damn, like I just months, wasted yeah. six months where I could have been getting better. Yeah. I could have been trying. Um, you know, and, and I guess, you know, the, the story of this guy that he told the guy who wanted to be a cartoonist really struck me because as he said, the guy just wasn't that good. Yeah. So I guess there was a level of, of self delusion there. Yeah. Where this guy thought he could be a great cartoonist without having the chops. Which is a different conversation. Which is a whole different conversation. Yeah. But, you know, it it really it just made me think about this. And he said something he said something in this blog. He said, One must find the sweet spot between idealism and pragmatism and not have an excess of either. Huh. And I just thought that that just really that, that's that's the whole reason I put this in our in our show yeah. links was because I really thought to myself, wow, that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and it's a great summation of sort of how I feel, but it's it's also something easier said than done. Of course. Because it's so difficult. You know, again, you get to a point where you go, oh, well, I'll be pragmatic and I'll quit. And then you realize that your idealism overrides that in a yeah. few months and then you're angry because you wasted all that time not doing anything. And it's just a difficult thing. And I guess I also wanted to throw out there, you know, because I know that there are people listening to this show who – you know, this is their dream. They want to be a writer Um, or they want to publish or they, you know, they have some particular dream. And, and first of all, I want to tell them something that, that he wrote in a follow-up blog, which I'll also link to where he said, Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino are reportedly up for the same parts. Often when Dustin doesn't get picked, it isn't because he has no future as an actor. So (laughs) realize it's a great (laughs) quote. It's a really great quote. So realize that sometimes it, it may not fall your way, but that's not necessarily because you're bad. Right. It could just be somebody else was either a little bit better or different in a way that met the needs. 
And you hear that with acting all the time, too, is yeah. that it, they have, casting agents have a certain kind of person in mind. And it's not that you're a bad actor. It's that you you just don't fit that that type that they were or Or somebody else fits it better. Right, Like, yeah. you, you might be a 98% match for that type, yeah, and the next guy's 99. Yeah. And, hey. And also, you see this in publishing, too, where, uh, this has happened to me, where editors said, when I was first on submission with my other book, this is a great book, but I have something really similar. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And it's funny, too, because our definition of similar and their definition of similar oh, are, so different. are very different. Yeah. You know, I just had a, a somebody in Hollywood look at uh, my middle grade novel, The Secret City, mm-hmm. which will be out next year. And she she loved it. She said very nice things about it. But she said, I already have something similar. And I, I can't really get into this without yeah. talking about what The Secret Sea is about. But you've read it and you know it's a very strange yeah. combination of elements that does not exist in nature. And my first thought was, you don't have anything remotely like this. Right. What are you talking about? And then you pointed out, you said, nah, that just means... She just means that she also has a book with, you know, kids roughly that age mm-hmm. with a sort of science fictional bent to it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, they look at it. They don't look at the specifics when right. they look at similarity. They're looking at very broad, right. very broad things. You know, to them, Harry Potter and the X-Men are the same. Right. Oh, yeah. kids with superpowers at school? Done. Exact same yeah. thing. We can't do the one because the other is exactly like it. They're not at all yeah. alike. But that's how they see things. One, one of the rejections I got for the book that I'm editing now uh, from an agent back when it was in its first revision was um, this is too similar to Gossip Girl and Gossip Girl is, is done. Right. And I remember showing you and being oh, like, yeah. I think she read a different book. Right, right. This is not, this is literally right. 0% like, like the, Gossip Girl. The <laughs> massive similarity to Gossip Girl is that it's written in English. <laughs> you employ punctuation <laughs> and it was, it there was are just paragraph really breaks. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, other yeah. than that. But, but, you know, if you look at it from a very, I don't mean this to be insulting, but if you look at it from a very narrow perspective, yeah. then yes, yeah. it's girls, girls and, at uh, a private school. school. Yep. Like, and, but that's how they look of at course. it. And it's, yeah. it's insane, but yeah. yeah, that's how they do it. But, you know, we, we walked down this path a little bit, and I, I'd like to go a little further, uh, to talk about the dream of yeah. publishing versus the reality, because we all have this idea of what it's going to be, usually force-fed to us by popular media, which, as we've talked about before, gets it wrong every yeah. single time. So let's talk about that a little bit. You have published as, have. A, as a ghostwriter. Uh-huh. Um, was that, like, what you thought it would be like? Um, I think so, only in the sense that, I mean, I, I knew very clearly going in that as the ghostwriter, I wasn't getting any recognition for the work. Right. Um, I wasn't going to the launch parties or anything like that. Right. You mean um, you didn't like stalk the launch party? Like you weren't skulking in the back, like in a trench coat and a fedora? I have no idea if there was even a launch party. Uh, I, I know maybe. you're kidding, but I, I have no idea. So, um, I was hoping you would, you know, I actually, I think the, uh, I don't know. It sort of happened so quickly that I was thrown into it. And I don't even know that I had clarified what my expectations were, but, um, but it was definitely exciting and in a way almost easier. Like I couldn't believe how easy wow. it was. Not not from the work perspective, but from the, here's a contract, here's right. a check, send me some pages. Right. And I did. And they sent me back one revision with, you know, some suggestions and I did them and sent it back and that's it. That was it. Now you didn't, now you've told me this before, but I've forgotten. 
You didn't have to do copy edits or page prints, no. right? No. God, that's the that is the dream. That is the dream. You write a book, you turn it in, and you don't have to look at it again. That right there is the dream. Yeah. Because though that part of the process is the bane of my existence. Yeah. 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 So you tell me, dream I, versus again, you've been trying to do this since you were twelve. Yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. How's it different? Well, you know, part of the problem is when you start at twelve and it takes you, you know, over a decade to get your first published credit and then another decade to actually make a career out of it, you have a lot of time, you know, by definition, writers have good imaginations. You have a lot of time to fantasize about what it's going to be like. Mm. And the reality can never live up to that. Uh, yeah. The reality, it just can't. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Somebody said to me once, shortly after my first book was published, somebody I'd known for a while said, it happened. You're living your dream. I said, no, I'm not. My dream was, you know, my first book would be number one on the New York Times bestseller list and right. have a movie made before it even came out right, and right, yeah. I'd be living in a mansion and blah, and you know. Literally, and that, that's all of our dreams. And that, of course. Yeah. And that, uh-huh. you know, and so what you do, or at least what I did is, you know, I started looking at other ways for it, for other things that, that, that meant something to me that I couldn't have anticipated. Okay. For example, fan mail. Ah. Uh. Like, never in a million years did I think... I'm going to get fan I'm mail. Gonna get fa- like, yeah. you know, when I put up my first website a million years ago, I put up a little contact form because that's what you do, but I didn't really think yeah. anybody was going to use it. Yeah. And then they did. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is really cool. That's neat. So that was a neat thing. You know, getting to travel, which is something I never anticipated, okay. but all of a sudden it was... Dear Mr. Liga, I'm a librarian in Saskatchewan. You know, yeah. will you come to Saskatchewan? And I'm like, um, sure, sure, why not? <laughs> and you go and you meet people and you stand in front of them and you talk and they listen and they ask you questions and and it's really cool. And again, it's nothing I intended. That wasn't yeah. part of the dream, yeah. but it's part of the reality and it's pretty damn cool. Yeah. I, I really think that, that what you end up doing, I mean, unless you're incredibly lucky, you know, and you, you do hit that home run. That, that everybody wants to hit their first time at bat, you you really just start looking for the things that are cool, that you the things that catch you off guard, the things that okay. surprise you, and and that's what I'm always looking for. You yeah. know, just just today, for example, uh, a, a day or so ago, a kid on Tumblr said, "Hey, why isn't there a fandom for Arch Villain?" <laughs> which is the middle grade series I wrote a few years ago. And I said, "Well, uh, you know, sadly, those books didn't sell very well." And uh, so I guess there's not a lot of people out there, so it's uh-huh. tough for a fandom to sort of coalesce. And I responded in public, and a bunch of people liked and reblogged my response, and a library reblogged it and Aww. said, hey, if you like this series, go find this person. Aww. And, uh, and And so just tonight, before we started to record, this person who originally yeah. got to me on Tumblr, created an Archvillain fan page on Tumblr. That's amazing. And said, hey, everybody, if you like Archvillain, let's make a fandom. That's really and cool. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. But it's just it's just cool. That, you know, it's completely unanticipated. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when I was 12, I couldn't have imagined Tumblr. Um, <laughs> what I, a shame. I, well, yeah, it goes both ways. If I could have imagined it, maybe I'd be rich. But also I might have just jumped off a building. But, um... <laughs> Because there's some scary stuff on Tumblr. <laughs> but, yeah, so things like that. Yeah. Those are the things, I think, that get you through the day well, when, when, the things say, that, when the things that you were dreaming about don't happen. That's, you know, if your dream is 
this big, big, big thing that's less than 1% of writers hit. Yeah. Then you have to take your wins where you can get them. Sure. And you can still, like, like, you can still aim for that right. and daydream about that at night when you're trying to fall asleep and you can't. But I think it's really important to, to, and I think this is a really good perspective to have that you have, like, to find those little wins that, of things you didn't expect and I mean, let them carry it. It's all sorts of things. You know, re- recently, again on Tumblr, I don't know why everything in my life is about Tumblr right now. But it has a huge, passionate book community. That's why. But recently on Tumblr, somebody has been uh, blogging quotes from a short story of mine called The Truth About Dino Girl, which was in the anthology Geektastic. And as far as I can tell, this person is doing this out of love for the story, not okay. not out of... Some sort of ironic, I hate this thing and I'm going to blog about it. Okay. Which means a lot to me because that story was hated. Yeah. Like, everybody in the world hated that story. Every review I ever saw of Geektastic said, I loved all the stories in this book except for Barry Ligas. <gasps> really? Everybody hated that story. I wrote that story at a very dark time in my life. Yeah. But anyway, um, everybody hated that story. And I just... I just came to terms with it very quickly. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Everybody hates that story. And that's fine. And so, you know, the again, there's someone out it's there. an unexpected yeah. thing. There is somebody on Tumblr who loves that story. Enough to, Enough make, to, word art out to of it. make word art out of it. And I'm like, that's cool. That's really cool. So yeah. I think those are the things you have to look for. And again, you know, to tie back, I think of that guy that Mark Evanier was talking about yeah. who just wasn't good enough. And clearly he was too busy dreaming and not busy working. Working on the path. You know? And I have to say that's really... I think the more you surround yourself with writers, and not just aspiring writers, but if your dream is writing and you are surrounded by people who are doing that for a living, you see pretty quickly that, it, you know, it's not Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> like, well, there's work. And that's part of the problem yeah. is, that, is that, you know, basically there are two, there, there's only two visions of the writer in our popular media for the most part. There is fabulously successful diamond shoes are too tight uh-huh. and there is broke poor living downtrodden in living in mom's yeah. basement but in, sometimes they're the same sometimes it's i was a big shot and then i yeah. lost it all because i was an alcoholic and now right. i live in my mom's yeah. basement or it goes the other way i live in my mom's basement but by the end of the story i'm rich and famous right. yeah. so no matter which narrative you're looking at it tells you rich and famous is one of the default positions yeah yeah and it's not of course and I can't think of any other, any other, it's kind of like, any other occupation that is so distorted in our popular media, and it drives well, me insane. But, but there are other creative occupations that are just like that. If you sure. think of actors, or if you think of dancers, professional dancers, think of like someone in the core of the American Ballet Company. Right. Never, they're not Misty Copeland. Right. But they're making a living. Sure. And when they retire from that, they go teach at a dance studio. Right. And they make a solid living that way. And they're never going to grace, you know, Vogue magazine, but they're awesome. I always think of, like, whenever I'm watching TV or movies or anything, and there's, like, a a bit player that I recognize from From something else, uh I always think, did this person think they were going to be a big shot someday? Or were they just like, no, I just want to act. I just want to act enough to raise a family. Right. Um, There are a couple of actors out there who... There's one in particular, and I this is terrible. I don't know her name, but my twin sister and I noticed her playing in bit guest role parts for years and years and years, and we call her Guest Star Girl. Guest Star like, Girl because you don't know her name. Is it Judy She's, Greer? 
It's not. <laughs> I, I actually really like Judy Garland. But um, but anyway, so and it's just fun. And I'm like, but she's making a living at it. That's sure, awesome. Sure. There was um, I just read a really funny article this week. Um, it was an interview with Susan May Pratt, who, uh, if you're my age, you probably know who she is. She was. What if you're older than you? Probably not, yeah. unless you watched uh, Drive Me Crazy, Center Stage, and Ten Things I Hate About You. I don't even know what you're talking Those about. Those are amazing movies from the mid to late '90s. <laughs> yeah, see, amazing movies and mid to late '90s shouldn't be in the same sentence. Anyway, but go ahead. And she was the like like number two star in each of those. Uh, okay, she and, was the friend. Yeah, she was the friend, and. You know, three movies in a row with big, fairly big superstars in them, and, right. and she was poised to take off. And this interview was her saying, "Yeah, nothing really happened after that. Yeah. I didn't get roles after that, and now here I am. I, I've got two kids." And she said, "Now she she occasionally guest stars on shows. She's guest starring in Masters of Sex this season, and um, she actually said, like." I turn down roles now because sometimes they offer to pay me less than what I'm paying the babysitter. Wow. And so my, my rule is I'll only take the role if I, if I'm if it breaking covers even. the babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> but think it, but oh, it was, really, she was like, Hey, I had a great ride. Like yeah. I'm still doing what I like to do. I've got the best of both worlds. Cause I'm, I'm happy raising my kids and I get to turn down work or take it when it's offered to me, depending on my priorities. And, and yeah. but it was really funny. She had a really fresh perspective. I was going to say, that's a terrific perspective. Yeah. Wow. That's terrific. All right. Let's move on. Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about our little one. Aww. Little Leia. She's so adorable. <laughs> you people, should... this should be a video podcast so everybody <laughs> could see how adorable she is. My favorite moment from today, by the way, was um, we were waiting outside of a coffee shop and there was a lovely woman sitting on the bench, oh, yeah. an older woman, and I went in to get coffee and so she was chatting you up because Leia was smiling at her and she was talking about how cute she was. And then we switched. Yeah. I came out and you went to a different shop to get a drink that you wanted. And Daddy was I boozing think up was, in the yeah. middle of the day. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it was a whiskey. Um, anyway, so I was standing there and the woman was still chatting with me now. And she said, she is just so sweet. And I said, I know, she's lovely or something like that. And the woman paused and said, it's so easy to say that when you're not taking care of them full time. And I just burst out laughing. And I was like, you're right. And she's like, enjoy. I was like, thanks. It was just really funny. Wow. How could she tell? How could she tell? No, that was a great moment. But it, it ties into what I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, I walk around with her a lot. Yeah. I, I try to get out with her a lot every day. And we walk past people because we live in a city, so there are people. And inevitably, people say, she's so cute. She's so adorable. What a beautiful baby. Whatever. And I always say, thank you. Yeah. And and I start to feel weird about saying thank you. Like, I understand it's a compliment and, and you thank people for compliments, but it also like, I feel like I'm taking credit for something that other than on the most basic genetic level, like I had nothing to yeah. do with. Yeah. And it, so it just feels weird. How do you feel about that? It's, I agree. I never know. I always say thank you yeah. when someone pays her a compliment, but I always feel not weird about it because sometimes people don't say like, your daughter is amazing. And I say, thank you. Instead, they say something like, what a cutie. Right. Like in passing. Yeah, And, yeah. and it's a, a nuanced difference there, but it is a difference. Right. And so I never know whether to say like, thanks. So uh, yeah, it's definitely strange. I mean, yeah, like I'll walk by. And or, or should I say, isn't she? <laughs> I'll walk, well, I'll walk by and somebody will just say, beautiful. Oh. You know? And... And and I go thank you, and then I and then I feel weird about it, and I, right. I I feel like I should just start saying yeah I know you know or or eh, she's okay you know something like that. Don't <laughs> tell do. don't tell her that we don't want her to get a swelled head. You know? <laughs> no, uh, it is funny. 
I guess in a way, I guess what we're doing is we're thanking her, thanking them on her behalf. It's, since well, she can't, exactly since yeah. she can't say thank you. Yeah. We're doing it for and her. And also, you know, a thank you never hurts anyone, so yeah. may as well dole them out as generously as you can. So. Yeah. It just feels real. It just feels weird for somebody. Yeah. I don't know if other parents feel that way. Other parents, other parents should write in and tell us if they feel strange. But only if you have cute kids. Yeah, because if you have an ugly kid, we don't want to hear about just it. Just kidding. Yeah. All kids are cute. Oh, I've seen some kids that are not <laughs> not cute at all. And I am not ashamed to say that. So, let's uh, let, let, let's do a Morgan update. Okay. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I am about an hour away from being done. What the hell are we podcasting for? You make me. You're right. I, I, do. Know. I know. I know. You know me, Miss Procrastinator. I'd I skip this every three weeks if I had my time. Oh, you hear that, listeners? <laughs> so you're so, about an hour away. I, I mean, that, that's a totally rough estimate. I have 40 pages left mm-hmm. to edit, but there's one scene that I've, I already know I need to go back to and just rework um, the dialogue. And then I also know that there's a tiny, I think I have another brief chapter to add here at the end, but... I'm talking like two pages. So, okay. um, so yeah, it's, but it's really exciting. So are we going to continue this, uh, discussion, this ongoing discussion about your book as you wrap up the revision and start submitting to agents? Are I you guess. willing to share that with the listening audience? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll definitely announce that when I'm, when I've sent it out, when I'm in the querying process, yeah. um, I plan on giving you the manuscript sometime over the next couple of days once I'm okay. done. Um, I'll and see if then, I can fit it into my busy schedule. <laughs> well, you can. You, you've got work to do this week, so you legit do have to fit it in. Um, while you're reading it, I'm also going to send it to um, our friend, Sarah, who said she's happy to take a look at it. And She's not going to read it. <laughs> and um, then, meanwhile, while people are reading it, I will be reorganizing my agent list because I right. looked at my agent list in yeah. literally probably two and a half years. Yeah. So most of them are dead. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> tough business though. It is it's a tough business. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's, I'm actually really intrigued to go look at this list because for those of you who don't know, when you query an agent, there are a couple of different options that they give you. One is pass altogether. One is um, revise and resubmit. So I'd like to see you do a little bit of this. Or uh, you're not quite there, but if you do another revision, feel free to show me. You know, that kind of thing. And the third or fourth is, you know, a partial request or a full request. So I need to go back and look and see who, if anyone, suggested revisions. Or or left the door open, I should say, for a revised version. Um, It's tough, though, because there are... You know, it's been a couple, it's been two years. So part of me is like, who cares if they didn't request a revision? Should I resend it anyway, since it's so reworked now? Ah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Because I got to be honest with you, you know, I, my assumption would be that after two years, they wouldn't even remember, but... Agents are weird. Agents They're like remember. elephants, man. They remember stuff. Yeah. There are aspiring writers out there who try to trick agents. Right. And they'll suddenly change just the title of the book. Right. And resend it as a brand new qu- query. And, yeah. you know, agents are on to you, guys. But, uh, so anyway, I, I... Man, aspiring writers are devious. <laughs> Seriously. Like, there is no more devious species on this planet. Well, I think it's really... 
really interesting. I think it goes back to this narrative of like, you can't get into publishing unless you know somebody. Yeah. And so there's still a swath of people that feel like they have to trick their way into the business, right. uh, which obviously is not at all how it happens. So yeah. anyway, so I'm actually really curious and, and looking forward to, um, creating my agent list over the next week and, cool. uh, and yeah, going from there. I can't wait. Can't wait. You and me both, buddy. So that you can support me in the style to which I've become accustomed. <laughs> yes, definitely. And if you can start cranking out books, I can stop. There you go. There you go. There you go. We only need one writer. That's true. Yeah. As long as one of us is a writer, we can keep doing the podcast. Okay. There you go. Okay. Uh, great. Great. Well, I can't wait to see it. We will We will keep our listeners involved as much as you are comfortable doing. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I finished my, uh, cop chasing a supervillain story. Okay. And, uh, much like a dog who catches the car he's been chasing, I'm now like, what am I going to do with this? Ah, I, I, I didn't even know you finished it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Finished it the other day. Nice. Um, it really, it needed like two paragraphs. I'd been procrastinating on like two paragraphs. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm like, I really have no idea what to do with it now. Uh, I Can could, I read it? Yeah, if you, I, th- I think you're going to be tremendously bored by it. It's a, still like it's a superhero it. story. I mean, you're not into superheroes, really, but if no, you want to read I it. No, but I mean, I've watched you, X-Men. You have, yeah. <laughs> Just so, kidding. So, someday I will tell the audience the story of Morgan watching X-Men, because <laughs> it's a pretty damn good story. But anyway, um, I don't know what to do with it. You know, there if if I if I can sort of find a day to do the formatting and to put together a cover, if I can think of a oh, cover, then it. I would go ahead and put it up as an ebook, you know, on, on all the usual places. Um, but I, part of me sort of wants to do a little research and find some uh, markets for short fiction, yeah, you know, you of this sort mm-hmm. and, and submit it and see what happens. I, I haven't, pitch it. I haven't submitted a short story in probably 12, 13 wow. years. I mean, I just, I haven't. You I mean, should. I think that's so. Cool. You know, but I would have to sit down and do. I mean, it's a whole different yeah. market, obviously. So I'd have to do that. The other thing that did occur to me the other day is that it might make an interesting piece of an anthology. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that too. But this is definitely a case where, like I said, I'm the dog who finally caught the car, and now I'm standing on the corner going, <laughs> "Like, what do I do with this thing?" So I have no idea. I'll figure it out at some point. Though. You will. Uh, so let's talk recommended reading and, or what are you reading now? My eyes just lit up because I'm really excited. I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of Lynn Weingarten's new book, which is called Suicide Notes from Beautiful Girls. A New York Times bestseller. That's, I was just going to say, what's amazing is it hit the list this week. And again, that's just so exciting to see new books hitting the list. Yep. Yep. I, I'm going to keep hammering that home because it really is legitimately exciting for me. It truly is. Um, what I'm really liking about this book, A, the title, I think it's such a good title. Um, B, I'm really enjoying it. But what is really cool is that there are chapters from different people's perspectives. And I'm not going to give away any twists here, but um, a new character has chapters starting in the middle of the book. Okay. And... It just, it's, this book is a really good lesson for me because Lynn does a really great job with voice. So the chapters for each character are so different from each other. And I feel like I personally struggle with voice, with, um, voice differentiation sometimes between characters. 
So, um, so I'm reading it and really enjoying it, but also like taking note of how, how she's doing that, how she's differentiating the the chapters based on the character. So anyway, I highly recommend it so far. Cool. Cool. You? Uh, I'm once again, mentoring students at, uh, Arizona state university's Piper center for writing. So I am in the midst of reading some of those pieces, but I did, uh, I, I did get to read some James Baldwin this past week, um, which I'd been meaning to do. Uh, I read something very short because I didn't have a lot of time. <laughs> so I read The Fire Next Time, which is actually uh, two pieces. One is a letter that he wrote to his nephew, and the other is a, a long essay that he wrote um, for a magazine. I can't remember the magazine now. But anyway, um, they're both from the early 60s, okay. and I read them and really, really liked them a uh-huh. lot. Um, you know, the the reason I suddenly decided I wanted to read James Baldwin was because I stumbled upon an interview with him. And uh, in the interview, the interviewer says to him, uh, When you were starting out as a writer, you were a black, impoverished, homosexual. You must have said to yourself, gee, how disadvantaged can I get? And his answer is, Oh no, I thought I hit the jackpot. Oh great. <laughs> <laughs> it was so outrageous you could not go any further, you know. It had to be, so you had to find a way to use it. <laughs> And I just thought, I, I watched that and I thought, oh my God, like I've got to read something this guy wrote. Like that's, that's, that's great. Like I love his perspective and, 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 and just everything. So, so I went ahead and I grabbed the fire next time and I read it and it was really good. And I'm going to read it. I recommend it to everybody. Cool. You know, it, it's a little strange to read something, yeah. you know, from the sixties that is, I mean, that is about race. Yeah. Both because we've come so far and also because we haven't. Uh-huh. Like, on the one hand, you're reading and you're going, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that's what it was like. And on the other hand, you're going, ooh, yeah, that's what it's still like. Yeah. Wow. So that's a little strange. And there's there's a bit in there where he's talking about um, a street corner uh, preacher, a, a Nation of Islam guy standing on the street corner preaching and talking about how um, within 15 years the white power structure will be destroyed. Mm. And Baldwin says parenthetically – you know, anybody who's paying attention knows that this is true. Oh, wow. And I'm like, eh, in 1962, yeah, well, guess what? Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that was sort of interesting wow. to see. Uh, but no, it was, it was good. And, you know, it, you know, this is a guy who, again, you know, he grew up, he was poor, he was black, he was gay. I mean, that's about as outcast as you can get in America, especially at the time mm-hmm. uh, when he was born. And I'm, you know, I've always been attracted to outcasts and outsiders. So it was just really, really fascinating to read this. I nice. really, really enjoyed it. I, I want to sit down and read some of his novels um, when when uh, my reading schedule clears up. So hopefully soon. Great. So that is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Go to our feedback form. Give us suggestions on things we can talk about so that I can be as organized as Morgan (laughs) in the future. Never going to happen. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And uh, rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We would love for you to do that. And we will be back next week. Thank you. Have a great week. Bye.